This is a Federal News Network podcast. The beginning of the end of the pandemic might be in sight, but there's no clear signs of where federal employees will be working in the future or when they'll be working there. In some ways, the long telecommute has been difficult for women especially. For a temperature check and a look ahead, the legislative representative for federally employed women, few, Tanya Saunders. Ms. Saunders, good to have you on. Oh, thank you, Tom, so much. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. Well, let's talk about that bill, I guess the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion, whatever you want to call it. It did have some provisions for federal employees in there, buried deep in there. 15 weeks of paid leave for quarantine, recovery from illness, and so forth. What is FUSE take on all of those provisions? Well, we're very excited, uh, in fact, that they did include additional uh, paid leave uh, so that employees can use this emergency leave to care for themselves, their children, their spouse, and others. It's, um, in fact, we were very supportive of the Federal Employee Paid Leave Act for years, and that was also passed prior to this bill. But this gives federal employees a, a level of comfort, particularly women. You know, Tom, women have been the hardest by COVID-19. And so just the name itself lets you know that this is an organization of women. That gets me to a question I wanted to ask you about. In the pandemic, families have been home, federally employed women and men have all been home and kids have been home quite a bit or whatever the case might be, other family members. Is it your sense that a lot of the pressure and the extra work resulting therefrom has sort of resorted to the old model and women are carrying a greater burden in the homes while trying to do Uh, their jobs? Absolutely. In fact, I hear that quite often. Uh, And you mentioned children being at home. They're also going through school at home and the parenting responsibilities. I know that they're more shared today than they were maybe in my time, but there's still that caretaker, caregiver aspect uh, to the woman being at home and, and, and the mental stress and pressure of it all. Yeah, so then this provision will help, but so will people just getting back into offices and especially children getting back into the schools will really have an effect on federal productivity in some strange way. Absolutely, particularly if it's safe to do so. And again, women tend to be concerned a lot with how we uh, move back into our workspaces as well as the children going back to school. And there you also point to the fact that there was um, additional funding in there for child care assistance, which is going to be critical to get those back up and running because who's going to you know, pick up the children from school and that kind of thing when you're now back into the workforce. So all of that has to come back online in order to make it, I think, uh, productive for everybody and, and uh, less mental stress. Yeah, a lot of moving parts here because in some jurisdictions, the younger kids are in school, but not the older, or maybe the older, but not the younger. And so it may be a little somewhat easier, but it's not solved yet, the situation. And it doesn't look like it's going to be really until maybe the fall. Absolutely, Tom. And um, again, we applaud uh, Congress and the administration for addressing the concerns from the standpoint that they could, and that is with you know, the additional financial assistance, that's going to be very important as people try and figure all of this out and all those moving pieces come together in some way that allow folks to get back uh, to some new normal. I won't say normal, but new normal. And one signal we have not heard much from is the agencies themselves on what their reopening plans are. Early on during the Trump administration in the early days of the pandemic, there was 
level A and level B and level C and all these elaborate plans for returning. Maybe nobody thought this would drag on as long as it has. But now, are you getting signals from your members or from any of the agencies as to how they plan to bring people back to the offices? Not yet. And in fact, as you may recall, there are still um, agencies or at least uh, cabinet heads that have to be um, uh, you know, nominated and, and uh, approved through Congress. So once uh, I believe the leadership is in place under the Biden administration, we'll hear more. A lot of the instruction for uh, the federal workforce comes through OPM, that's Office of Personal Management. Then you have OMB, Office of Manage- Management and Budget. So once a lot of you know the uh, positions are filled, I believe we'll hear a lot more. And now we have Marty Walsh, the mayor of Boston, is Secretary of Labor, so he might weigh in on that because he's got that working class kind of orientation, I think. I would imagine so. <laughs> it's been highlighted in all of all of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, papers and, and, and throughout the news. So great things <laughs> yet to come. All right. We're speaking with Tanya Saunders. She's legislative representative for federally employed women. And I want to ask you a bigger question. Since the Biden administration has come in, we have seen an emphasis in executive orders and in activities of several large agencies so far on the whole diversity, inclusion, equity front. And uh, this is something that they're pushing agencies to undertake. In a sense, that's always been a mission of federal agencies. But do you feel there's some more lift now for women in the federal workforce? Yes, actually, I do. Um, There has always been a that has always been a focus of federally employed women. In fact, uh, they work hard for the advancement of all women in the federal government and all of our issues uh, that we have supported support that. So this is a moment in some ways because it really is a push and an emphasis of the new administration. But these moments sometimes come and go, don't they? Yes, in fact, they do. Under the previous administration, you may have noticed that there was a um, rollback in some cases regarding gender discrimination and and other language that was being uh, touted. Uh, But this administration now has a laser beam focus on inclusivity. And what about the training issue? Because that was a controversial executive order at the end of the last administration, trying to end certain types of training. And I'm not sure it ever actually happened in the government. There weren't too many examples of it. But training in not so much sensitivity, but in critical race theory and that kind of thing. What is your sense of what's going on now with respect to diversity and inclusion training for all federal employees? Well, one of um, the uh, focus areas of federal employed women is to um, provide training on diversity, inclusion, and non-discriminatory practices. Why? Because it is a law under EEOC and uh, the federal agencies have to become have to be compliant to the law and understand what the law states. So that's a large portion of what uh, the organization does. Now, as uh, you refer to the contractors who provide training, those contracts, as I understand it, have uh, resumed because the executive order has now been rescinded. Our position as an organization, we don't have one, in fact, on what people are using for their tools for training. But I'll be very clear about FUSE training program, and that is non-discriminatory practices under EEOC law. Got it. 
And what will few be looking at legislatively? What do you want next from Congress? What are your agenda items for the next year or so? Oh, Tom, that's a great question. Uh, we have uh, priority issues. Uh, few has three tiers. Uh, tier one are issues directly impacting federally employed women. Tier two issues affecting all federal employees, regardless of gender, and then tier three issues affecting all women as a class. And there are two very important issues that are uh, weaving their ways through Congress currently. One is the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA. The other is the Violence Against Women Act. And that's what you're going to be pushing lawmakers to get a stick on. Uh, yes, absolutely. ERA, it's been way too long. Uh, I believe over 90 years <laughs> or something like that. I mean, that's more than my lifetime. But, uh, well, almost more than my lifetime. <laughs> well, you look young from what I'm seeing on video. Tanya Saunders is legislative representative for federally employed women. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Tom, for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing 
like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.